Okay, we are marching through the book of Joshua, and this has been a new experience. I've never preached from the book of Joshua before, and you probably are very aware of it, those who have been here from the very beginning. It's new ground for me. I've read it many, many times, but never really tried to apply the principles and the understanding of why this book came to us and how it came to us and how we can use it for our lives and our walk with Christ. And of course, I'm coming off of another theme that I had when we went through Hebrews in finding rest. In Hebrews 4, 8 to 11, for if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. In other words, if they'd gotten the land, they got into full rest, Jesus would not have had to come. Or more likely, if we had not sinned in the garden, we would have had eternal rest right here. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. A Sabbath rest is different than any other rest. And that is when we come to a place of acknowledging that I live by the grace of God. Every breath I take, I am dependent on Creator God. And I could not be standing here among you or you among us here if it was not for Him. And what He desires to do in giving us soul rest, freedom from our sins, and the guilt of our sins, and the memory of our sins. And that's what Jesus has offered us as our Savior. For whoever enters God's rest also rests from his own work or trying to be good. I'll be good. I'll be good. I promise. I won't make that mistake again. Yeah, buddy, we do. We need his rest. God's rest, just as God did from his. When he created the world, he rested. And so we have a day of rest that he has ordained for us as men and our work animals and machines. Just think about that this week. I won't explain it. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest the rest that we have in our Lord Jesus Christ. What a rest it will be when we are in heaven. No more sin, no more battles, rest. But we need to learn how to rest in him here first. This is where he put us. This is the opportunity he has given us. There is a rest for the people of God so that no one will fall by following the same pattern of disobedience over and over and over and over again of disobedience. He offers us rest in his salvation that he's given us. We rest in that. And that is the rest that we have in gathering here as the people of God on the Lord's day. The outline is taken from Joshua 10, 
and simple outline of this five lords who seek to fight against Israel and they're coming into their land. Five kings taking captives and no survivors. Let's see what that's all about. We talked about Gibeon and we learned that with the situation that the Gibeonites, who we learned from this chapter, were one of the mightiest city nations in that area. That's what it says in this chapter. And so the king of Jerusalem, when he saw that Joshua had made an alliance with Gibeon, they decided to attack the Gibeonites. And that's the background of our story today. Five kings. Now it came about when Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard that Joshua had captured Ai and had utterly destroyed it, just as he had done to Jericho and its king, so he had done to Ai and its king, and that the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were within their land, that he feared greatly because Gibeon was a great city, like one of the royal cities, and because it was greater than I, and all its men were mighty. This guy, this king, Adonai Zedek, what kind of a ring does that name have? We talked about him several months ago, person with a very similar name, Adonai Zedek. Melchizedek, same name. This one is Adonai, Lord Adonai, Adonai. It's the first name that Mary called when she knew it was Jesus who had been risen from the dead and not the gardener, Adonai. This man, this king, king of Jerusalem, and his last part of his name, Melchizedek, righteousness. And what did we learn about the righteousness of God as we went through Revelation? He is the king of righteousness. And he is righteous altogether. And his treatment and anger upon us as sinful men is not based on his wrath and his anger, but upon his holiness. That is why there is anger. You will not come to me. Oh, that you would come. Jesus wept over Jerusalem. And this king takes that name. But it was a wicked city. It was a wicked people. Jerusalem was wicked. And God had sent his people back there to conquer every city, every town. That is a righteous God. He had given them how many years? How many years to repent? How many opportunities did they have in seeing and understanding the stories of God's mercy and his grace to his chosen people? And yet, in the diggings and the excavations that have been made in those cities, in the Holy Land, as it's called, finding artifacts that were unspeakable rituals that they had. Those people were not righteous people. They were a people degraded in sin, their own sin, and loving it and perpetrating it. 
So these days we sometimes have news that says, well, we really need to feel bad for the Palestinians. And we should, and we need to pray for them. And you know what? There are more Palestinian Christians than there ever has been in our day and time. Praise the Lord. God is merciful, and they know it. And those Christians can identify, like the Gibeonites, with Israel. Now, I haven't been there, and there's only one reason why I'd go to Israel. And I told, well, no, there's two now. I told you last time, it was, I'd love to be able to go there and dig into some of those archaeological digs. And I was suggesting that we have a team from uh, MCC to go and, and do that. I'm going to get a sign-up sheet one of these days and put it back there. But I also want you to know that those Christians who are Palestinians are upright and favorable and thankful for what Israel has given them in rights. They're suffering because they're favoring Israel rather than the movements that are in their countries that are bombing and, and killing we have a just and righteous God that we follow. But this king of Jerusalem feared greatly because Gibeon was a great city, like one of the royal cities, and because it was greater than I, and all its men were mighty. There was an alliance then that he made that would reach out to other city empires. In verse 4 says, Come up to me and help me, and let us attack Gibeon. For it has made peace with Joshua and with the sons of Israel. So the five kings of the Amorites gathered together and went up, they with all their armies, and camped by Gibeon and fought against it. Then the men of Gibeon sent word to Joshua to the camp at Gilgal, saying, Do not abandon your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us and help us, for all the kings of the Amorites that live in the hill country have assembled against us. And here's an amazing thing that happens. Joshua was a great warrior. And we've talked about Joshua quite a bit. But he was also not God. In fact, in many cases, he was, can I say it, a coward. I've, I've looked at Joshua and wondered, you know, he was under Moses all these days of his growing up. He was even on the mountain with Moses. So Joshua went up from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him, and all the valiant warriors, the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them, for I have given them into your hands. Not one of them shall stand before you. So Joshua came upon them suddenly by marching all night from Gilgal. Can you imagine how ready they were to fight the next morning as they got up there? And the Lord confounded them before Israel, and he slew them with a great slaughter at Gibeon. In fact, Israel really was not prepared for this, marching all night. They needed the help of their God. And the Lord confounded the armies of the five kings and slew them with a great slaughter at Gibeon and pursued them by the way of the ascent of Beth Haran and struck them as far as Ezekiah and Makeda. And as they fled from before Israel, for they were at the descent of Beth Haron, 
the Lord threw large stones or hailstones from heaven on them as far as Ezekiah, and they died. And there were more who died from the hailstorms than those whom the sons of Israel killed with the sword. And then Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the sons of Israel. And he said, in the sight of Israel, O son, stand still at Gibeon, at Omun in the valley of Aijalon. So the sun stood still and the moon stopped until the nation avenged themselves of their enemies. And is it not written in the book of Zashar? And the sun stopped in the middle of the sky and did not hasten to go down for about a whole day. What a great story. But you know, this verse is a target, a target for those who would say the Bible is foolishness. Here's proof. Here is proof that Christians and Israel believe a lie and a liar of a God. We all know the sun doesn't move. It's the earth that moves, right? Well, those of you who are in physics and in uh, science field, or maybe even some of you just already know this just because you learned it in homeschool. Yes, the sun does move. I mean, it takes 20 million years for the sun to do its whole circuit. So they calculate. I mean, how do they know? If it took 20 million years, the earth hasn't even been here for 20 million years. But we know that it's the movement of our earth on a tilted axis that causes day and night and causes seasons. We're now about to have spring, and it feels like spring out there today. And that's because the sun doesn't move particularly, but it's the earth and where we're slanted toward getting more sun hitting Japan. But these critics of the Bible are saying, Christians are fools and not scientific. Well, come on now. Those same scientists tell us sunrise will be at 6.54 this morning. Wait a minute now, wait a minute. You're a scientist and you're telling me and the rest of us that it's sunrise. No, 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 no. It's not the sunrise. It's the earth rotation. <laughs> so come on, give us a break, okay? As Christians, give us a break. We all have that perspective that the sun didn't move in the sky when God gave them more daylight to fight the Amorites. It was the earth that either slowed down or took a tilt. We don't know. Some people have tried to calculate, yes, there are some hours missing in the rotation of the earth. And one of them, one of the calculations is it's that much off and it's right here. That it wasn't the sun, but it was the earth that slowed down and we still were able to sit on it 
with the gravitational pull somehow or other, I'm not sure. But anyway, I'm a wannabe scientist. There was no day like that before it or after it when the Lord listened to the voice of man. For the Lord fought for Israel. I should have that in bold. This is what this battle is about. And this is what all the battles so far have been about, is God fighting for his people. That's what he does. That's who he is. And he's fighting for our brothers and sisters in North Korea. He's fighting for us here in Japan. And we need to be aware of that. More so now with the government saying, alarm, alarm. Don't go to school. Don't go to your office. Stay where you are. Don't spread the disease. What can they do? But we have a God who takes captives. Now these five kings had fled and hidden themselves in the cave of Makeda. And it was told Joshua saying, the five kings have been found hidden in the cave at Makeda. Joshua said, roll large stones against the mouth of the cave and assign men by it to guard them. But do not stay there yourselves. Pursue your enemies and attack them in the rear. Do not allow them to enter their cities for the Lord your God has delivered them into your hand. I thought about a cave when I was reading this. And these kings went and tried to hide in a cave. And Joshua, not knowing that there would be another cave thousands of years later, said, roll a big stone over that and let's continue the battle. Let's continue the battle. Jesus hid in a cave, so to speak. He went to a cave for us, not for his own sin, not for his own fear, but for us. And there was a large stone that someone had to roll. And Jesus Christ took our sin to the grave. That's our story. That's the truth of what he has done. And he hid that sin until he had risen from the dead and set the captives free. And this is a long passage here, and I'm not going to read the whole thing, but in this you can see one highlighted word, which we're going to focus on now in verse 20. And it came about when Joshua and the sons of Israel had finished slaying them with a very great slaughter until they were destroyed and the survivors who remained of them had entered the fortified cities that all the people returned to the camp to Joshua and Makeda in peace and no one uttered a word against the sons of Israel. There were no survivors, but there were some who were not killed by the armies and they fled back to their cities. And then Joshua said to them, do not fear or be dismayed, be strong and courageous. Where have we heard that before? That was the first instruction to Joshua, be strong and very courageous. God was desirous of Joshua to encourage the people in the same way he was encouraged. For thus the Lord will do to all your enemies 
with whom you fight. Verse 24. When they brought these kings out to Joshua, Joshua called for all the men of Israel and said to the chiefs of the men of war who had gone with him, Come near, put your feet on the necks of these kings. So they came near and put their feet on their necks. Okay, imagine that. What do you think this means? What is being taught here? That he would ask his commanders to come and put their feet on the necks of these five kings. We need to be involved in the work that God wants to do in setting us free from the bondage of those who desire to undo us, who war against us. And some of those enemies are even within our own hearts. We need to be willing to lay down our lives and say, I am willing to give up my life for you or that thing that I love and I hang on to as my own sin. These kings represent control and power. And sin does have a power in our lives, in my life. And I need to put my foot on that sin and say, I'm done with it. I'll walk in your ways because you have given me power through the cross, through your life, laid down. I also die to myself. That's what these kings represent, is our self-life, our sinful self-life. But I'm a Christian. Jesus forgives my sin. Yes, he does. But he also needs us to cooperate with him. He doesn't just do it. Oh, here, you're forgiven. You're forgiven. It's not flowers that he is throwing out to us. It's a call for us to die to self. And that is the last enemy. We need to stand against our self-life. And know that because it's his command, we will be given a broad promised land. Because he is the Lord of the promise and of the covenant. He will give us the desires of our heart, but in his way, not ours. That's the picture. That is what this book of Joshua is preaching and teaching. This is what they should have known all these centuries and then seen Jesus come as the Lamb of God and knowing this is the final answer. The final paid for price of my salvation because he lives I live forever that's what we sang though we walk in the flesh we do not war according to the flesh for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses we are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. 
and we are ready to punish all disobedience whenever our obedience is complete. Be strong and courageous, Joshua tells them. No survivors. So afterward, Joshua struck them and put them to death, and he hanged them on five trees, and they hung on the trees until evening, and it came about at sunset that Joshua gave command, and they took them down from the trees and threw them into the cave where they had hidden themselves and put large stones over the mouth of the caves to this very day. And he left no survivor. As he went through the battle, there were no survivors. And you will see there are no survivors in God's economy. His enemies will be absolutely destroyed. Believe it, walk in it, understand it for yourself. He left no survivors. There's not one little thing that I can hang on to that, well, I really love to do this. I, I want this. I need it. No. There's no survivors. That's throughout this chapter. He left no survivors. <laughs>